Thanks, Wendy. If you could have your Bibles open um, to 2 Corinthians 6, that would be of great help to you and me, I'm sure. Uh, I forgot to say, actually, Dongju just had a baby uh, girl, not last night, but the night before at 3 a.m. So um, do remember her um, and Tat in, the, in, your, in your prayers. Um, and let's pray as we come to hear God's word. Lord, we thank you that you are a speaking God, and we thank you that your word is powerful. And we pray that all that I've prepared, Lord, uh, because they're just human words, we pray that you will make these alive uh, through your spirit, that you will speak to each one of us. And help us to turn to you, help us to know you, help us to see you, and help us to live, help us to be like you. Um, and we pray that you'll build us up with your word, uh, that we may serve you faithfully in our, with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As many of you know, I spent some time uh, at All Souls Church where uh, Christianity Explored was developed. Um, and as a result, I had a chance to listen to uh, some of the things that sort of went on behind the scene. And in developing the second edition, there was a lot of talk about actually whether to include uh, what's called sinner's prayer into the booklet or not. Sinner's prayer into the booklet or not. And this is a prayer that we teach people to pray. When they decide to turn to Jesus, we say, pray this prayer that says you're a sinner, that you're inviting Jesus into your heart, and that it's not that, that there was anything wrong with the prayer. If done well, it really is a great way to mark the beginning of somebody's turn to Jesus and their decision to follow Christ. But some people felt that it Because people didn't understand what it was, it led to what's now called, what's being called these days, easy believism. Easy believism. It's this idea that that all one needs to do is believe, or all that one needs to do is to intellectually say, yes, that is true, and yes, that is true. Yes, Jesus died for me. Yes, I believe that he is the Son of God, and that's it. And as they pray the prayer that they have now become Christian. And we usually say after people pray the prayer, oh, welcome to the family because you have now become Christian. And that's fine, once again, if it's done well. But once again, there is that danger of people thinking, yes, I've prayed the prayer, now I'm a Christian, and so that's it. In a recent interview with Christianity Today magazine, uh, Billy Graham warns against easy believism. He said um, in that article, It should not be surprising if people believe easily in a God who makes no demands. But this is not God of the Bible. Satan has cleverly misled people by whispering that they can believe in Jesus, Jesus Christ, without being changed. And this is the devil's lie. To those who say you can have Christ without giving up anything, Satan is deceiving you. In this article, he calls easy believism an epidemic, something that has taken over many parts of the world, including the American Christianity. And I think it's here with us as well. Such a misunderstanding, if you can, I mean, as you can imagine, led to a very anemic and weak form of Christianity. People say they believe, but they don't go to church. 
They say that they believe, but they still live selfishly. They say they believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus, but they still live as if this world is it, is their permanent home. They say they believe, but they still cling on to their worldly comforts, money, status, power, rights, and ambition. And I think this is why I loved um, preaching from Second Corinthians so far. I mean, it was a love and hate relationship because I am selfish. But Paul is such an antidote to such easy believism, isn't he? Because we see how he gave up his entire life. We see how he lived and followed Christ. That it wasn't something that he said, yes, Jesus died. But he gave his life for Christ and started following Jesus with his life. Look at the list of the cost of his discipleship in verse 4. He writes there, In great endurance, in trouble and hardship and distresses, in beating, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger. Hard work, sleepless nights and hunger. When was the last time you were hungry because of the gospel? It's not just here. In verse 9, he continues with, look at the words there. Dying, beaten, sorrowful, poor, having nothing. For him, that was the cost of following Jesus. That was the cost of doing the ministry of reconciliation. And let me just make a quick clarification here that I'm not once again saying, I'm not glorifying suffering in some ways. I'm not saying suffering for the sake of suffering is good. We should never seek out suffering for its sake. Bad things happen. And sometimes, I'm sure it has happened to you and it has happened to me. Bad things have happened in my life where I wonder, why did that happen? And I, I, don't, I won't know the answer until Jesus comes back and I could ask him what that was about. Some suffering just seems bad. And so let's not glorify suffering here. As a commentator wrote, we're not called for masochism, but we are called towards mission. We are to suffer, if we are to suffer, we are to suffer for the sake of the gospel, for Christ's sake, for God's mission's sake. We're not summoned to be miserable, but to be mediators. And if being a mediator means suffering giving up our lives in order so that other people could have life. Well, that's the life that Jesus, uh, that's, the, 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 that's the life that Jesus called us to. And he promises that we will receive a greater life than the one that we gave up. If we are to deny ourselves, we, are, we, we do it because we trust in Jesus who says there is a greater life than the one that we are living selfishly right now. In fact, self-sacrifice is a pattern for the Christian ministry. Since Jesus ministered in this way, he laid down his rights. He he laid down his life. He laid down his comforts, even unto death, so that we could have life. It's that self-sacrifice that makes, marks Christ's ministry, and it must be the pattern for all Christian ministry for all Christ followers. And it's a challenging message for me. I've been asking myself, in what ways does my ministry, is my ministry marked by self-sacrifice? 
It's a question that we must ask as all leaders in the church, church committee members. There must be an element of self-sacrifice in your ministry. Links leaders, salt leaders, solid rock leaders, revelation warriors leaders, kingdom kids, Philippines fellowship, music ministry, or whatever it is, any sort of ministry that in order for it to be distinctly Christian, it must be marked by self-sacrifice because we follow Jesus Christ. Thankfully in Hong Kong, that doesn't mean um, that that doesn't mean imprisonments and beating, um, though in many parts of the world, that is still the case, isn't it? But there will be hard work. There will be sleepless nights. There will be times of hunger. And there are many who already do this in this church. And I'm so thankful for all of you. And I know, I'm sorry, I'm going to single somebody out. And I know she would be terribly embarrassed if she, um, I didn't ask her, I'm sorry. But, I mean, just think about people like Wendy. (laughs) What she's sacrificed in her 40 plus years in Hong Kong for the sake of God's mission to take care of the disabled in Hong Kong. Ask many missionaries who have joined us, and we are, we are privileged because we are a church that has many missionaries among, amongst us. Ask what they have sacrificed for the sake of the gospel. There are people here I, I, who, haven't see, who have the experience of not being able to see the light of the day because they were lived in the closed countries. We think of our friends who are doing that right now. People like Alice, who's come over for a year to give her life, to be trained for ministry, um, not, get, uh, not getting paid, but to be trained for ministry. Ask what they've sacrificed. There are many here who are making sacrifices now because Jesus called them to pick up their cross and follow him so that others could have life. But before I let you all off the hook... Let me say that it's not just for pastors, it's not just for missionaries, it's not just for full-time Christian workers. This is to be the pattern of ministry. This is the pattern of life for all Christians, laying down one's life so that others could have life. Because easy believism has never been part of Christ's call. When Jesus called us, he called us to come and die. Once again, this doesn't mean that we should seek out suffering, but there should be an element of self-sacrifice in our life. Is there such a mark in your life? How do you use your time? Do you always use your time selfishly? Do you always do what you want to do when you want to do it? Or do you make time for others when it's inconvenient for you, when it probably means sleepless nights for you? Have you taken on hobbies or done things this week that you don't normally do or want to do so that you could spend some time with a non-Christian friend or a friend, a Christian friend who needs encouragement? Do you buy everything that you want? How is your spending habit? Have you given away generously so that others could have life? And the thing is, this is a whole another sermon, but I'll just mention it. The thing is, We're all making sacrifices already for something. People are making sacrifices for money, for status, for power, for comforts, or whatever. The things that won't last. People, you're already doing it. But some of us have chosen to do it for the gospel. And that that should be the case for all of us. That we're making sacrifices for the gospel. Are we making sacrifices for the gospel And you can feel Paul just fighting 
pleading with the Corinthians to accept his way of life, accept him as an apostle in this text. Paul was like a parent um, to him. He lived with them. He taught them the gospel. He rebuked and encouraged them. He says in verse 13, as a fair exchange, I speak to you as my children. Open, Open wide your hearts also. He's making an appeal for the gospel, to the gospel, because that was the gospel. But he does so by pointing out to um, the way that he lived his life. And all throughout the letter, he says that, look at my life. I showed you what the gospel was. He can do this because of the way that he lived. Once again, that's no easy believism. That's not just saying, I believe in Jesus. I'll live my life my own way. He lived the gospel life. Look at what he says in verse 3. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. He lived in such a way that his life was not a stumbling block for anyone. Has that even come to your mind? Have you thought recently about your life and go, I wonder if my life in any way is a stumbling block for people to coming to know Jesus Christ? If you've never thought about it, once again, I think that's because we live our centered, self-centered life. It's not gospel-centered life, is it? If we live a gospel-centered life, this will be something that we constantly think of. How is my life a stumbling block for the gospel? Do you participate in gossips in, the, in, in your office? How often do you get drunk and make unhelpful jokes? Do you admit mistakes in your office or do you just blame others like others do? Do you cheat as a Christian student? Do you have a lifestyle that shows that money is not your God? How about hypocrisy, self-righteousness? We live in a time when our life speaks much more powerfully than what we say. People are suspicious of what you say. In this culture, people are suspicious of what people say, the truth claims that we make. But they are curious how you live, how you live your life at home, how you work in your office. That's what they see, and that's what speaks powerfully in this culture. So let's examine our life. Let's remove the stumbling blocks in people's paths. For the sake of the gospel, let's lay down our rights so that others might see Christ. And it's not just in the negative, right? Um, So he gives a positive exhortation as well in verse 4. Rather, as a servant of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Commending ourselves in every way. And covers, and Paul really covers all grounds um, here. He talks about all circumstance there in that verse, doesn't he? In trouble, hardship, distresses, and beating, imprisonment, and riot. And later on in verse 8, through glory and dishonor, bad reports and good reports. Clearly, God did not remove all his hardship. God did not remove all his distresses and troubles. But Paul asked, in whatever the situation that he was in, he asked himself, how could I commend uh, myself for the sake of the gospel? In my situation right now, in my suffering, in my imprisonment, in whatever situation, how how should I commend myself so that others might come to know Jesus Christ? He asked that question. How's my suffer? How can I suffer in such a way that people will be drawn to Jesus Christ? 
commending ourselves in all situation. He also commends himself in the gospel through his character, who he is in verse 6, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in Holy Spirit, in sincere love. Purity, kindness, understanding, in Holy Spirit, in sincere love. Is that how you are in your office? Is that how you are in your school? Is that how you are in your family, with friends? He commends himself in his speech as well in verse 7. In truthful speech and in the power of God, with the weapon of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. Paul spoke for the gospel, didn't he? As we saw last week, he appealed, he persuaded, he implored. And the point is, all of his life, he embodied the gospel. He could point to his life and say, I, I put no stumbling block in your path. I commended, uh, I, I, I commended myself in every way as a servant of God. Can we do that? I know how many of you might feel at this point. Um, you know that this is what you should be doing, but you're not doing this. Some of us feel like we, we, don't, we don't even think that we can do this. We look at our lives and we, there's very little to commend. Now, if you don't even want to try to do this, to live this life, if you don't even want to give up your life for the sake of the gospel, then I'm not sure if you're a Christian. If the desire isn't there, I think that's a matter of salvation. Come and see us after the church. Come and see us. Let's pray together. Now, if you want to do this, but you think this is too hard, or you don't think you're good enough, well, you you are in good company. Christ doesn't demand perfection from us, for only God is perfect. Only God himself is good. And praise God that it's his works that saves us, not our own works. But you have to understand that this, I think it's a matter of expectation. You have to understand that this isn't easy. You know, this isn't, this doesn't come automatically. This doesn't come passively. We have to work at this. And it's no wonder Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, compares this into running a marathon. Running this long race in which you have to train for. It will be hard. But we need to get out of our seats and start running this race. You will struggle with this all your life. Running the marathon for, I think, even people who have run the marathon again and again, this isn't an easy thing for them. It will be a struggle for the rest of our lives. But we go and run. Everyone who competes in the race go into strict training. 1 Corinthians chapter 9.25. They, they do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. I signed up for half marathon. If you ask me to run it right now, I can't. I, the longest I've run is seven kilometers. But it didn't mean that I get up and start running. Christian life doesn't mean perfection. But it does mean that we live our lives for Christ. That we live our, our, our we, we get out of our comfort place. Um, we get out of our selfishness. That we do not live for our comforts anymore. But, we live, but that we live for Jesus Christ. Even if it means difficult, it's difficult. That we train ourselves to run this race for the sake of Jesus Christ. So as you reject easy believism, 
and throw yourself into Christian life and ministry, you will discover a great paradox of Christianity. You will discover the difficulties, but of great joys as well. Take a look at the, uh, the end of our passage in verse 8 and on. Paul and many who work for the gospel often are accused of being false prophets, imposters, bearer of lies, go to any Muslim country now, or maybe even in your office right now. But Paul and we are the genuine bearers of this message. It's also true that who work tirelessly for the gospel here in Hong Kong and many places around the world will not be known. But they are known by Christ, the King of Heaven. It's true that the gospel workers often suffer for the sake of the gospel and bear Christ's death in their self-sacrifice. But inwardly, they're renewed day by day. They know life that the big-shot bankers and um, this world do not know. Yes, it's true, as Paul uh, talks about here, that sometimes Christians are ostracized, isolated, even beaten. But Paul was not killed. Paul knew the sustaining power of Christ. Paul did not turn away from Christ, but kept going. Paul knew what it's like to be sorrowful, to have people for whom he poured out his life turn away from him, reject him. But he also knew the joy of being God's servant, to be faithful to him, to be known by him. Paul became poor, but he made many rich. He had nothing. He spent years in prison. He died a murderer's death, but he possessed everything in Christ. Once again, I've said this many times before, researchers, researchers have shown again and again that if somebody lives for himself, that person will live an unfulfilled life, unfulfilling life. And so the wise have always pointed and said, live for something else, live for something that's greater than yourself. And you know, that's because we're made to live for Jesus. We're made to live for this great God. We're made to live for the gospel. And Jesus makes that clear from the very beginning when he calls us to follow him. The call for discipleship is a great paradox, isn't it? Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. As we live our lives Christ's way and for the sake of the gospel, we will have to. We will set aside our ambitions. We will give away our money. We will forego our comforts. We might grow weary as a result, but just when you think you are dying, we will find that there is life being renewed inwardly day by day, that there is this more fulfilling life that is being formed in you and in others, much more glorious thing that is developing in you and around the world. So we talked about this We've been talking about self-sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. But there's the thing. People who have made the greatest self-sacrifices, greatest sacrifices, don't say that they made made sacrifices, do they? Because they knew that they were following Jesus. 
that they knew that they, they, they know the power of God in them. They knew the power, they know the power of the Holy Spirit in them. They know that their life's work is achieving something that, that's greater than they can imagine. And I'm sorry I quote this so often, but I think it's just such a great quote. I'm sorry. David, Dr. David Livingston, who gave up his life um, and went to Africa so the people in Africa could hear the gospel end of his life, spoke. He said, For my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God had appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I've made in spending so much, my, so, so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its, blessed, uh, its own blessed reward in healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of the glorious destiny hereafter? away with such a word in such a view and with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger, now and then, with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life, may make us pause and cause our spirit to waver and the souls to sink. But let this be for only a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. That's not easy believism. I never made a sacrifice. And I imagine missionaries here. I imagine people who have made the greatest sacrifices here amongst our church will say the same thing. I never made a sacrifice. Whoever loses his life for Jesus' sake and for the gospel will save it. Let's pray together.